The first that is mentioned in the last section of chapter 15 is our present state. It is our present nature, our form that we have now. It is first, but not first in the matter of importance. It's first in regards to what we receive. The, the forgiven Christian who lives and believes in Jesus because of right standing with God will receive a new and glorified body at the end of days, beginning at the eternal state. Lord, as we look to your word, I desire, Father, on behalf of all of us, that wherever we are, you would take us to where we need to be. God, we, we pray, Lord, that if, if we've had a, a tough week, that you would encourage us and tell us the truth. Lord, if, if we are wandering away from you, God, that you would encourage us and tell us the truth. I pray, Father, that your spirit would speak plain to our hearts today. And God, that we would see the hope that we have. And not only, Lord, the future hope, but the present hope, the present truth that is before us so that we may live differently before a world that needs you. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 through 49, the scripture tells us, the first man, Adam, became a living person, but the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body, and then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as now we are like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. How many of you have ever been told, you look just like your mama, or you look just like your daddy? Your mannerisms are the same. You sound just like them. I, I'm sure you've met people before that if you've grown up around them and you've grown up around where you are long enough, they can tell who you are even if you're not in the presence of your mother and father because they have seen them long enough to know that when they've seen you, they've seen them. Well, that's because you belong to them, right? They look just like you. Well, I suspect that they should. You look just like them. You come from them. The scripture teaches that our nature, our body, comes from Adam, the first man. And the scripture compares and contrasts the first man, Adam, and the second man, Jesus. Now, second man meaning the living God, Jesus, but the comparison between the two is made throughout scripture with the purpose of explaining life as it is and life as it could be. Adam received life. That's the first point. It's a simple point to take in, but important nonetheless. Adam received life. He was the first of creation, and as such, we all can trace our physical life back to Father Adam. Biblical worldview or not, the identity of Adam is known throughout the world. It's not uncommon to know who Adam is as it relates to the Bible and as he relates to creation. So biblical worldview or not, Adam is popular throughout the generations. But he, the scripture says, became a living person by the creative hand of God. 
which means that he is not the main character of the story. This means that while he is distinguished, he is not divine. The greatest person that you've ever known, if you were to rank your top five people of all time, if the HGPT, what is the, the, uh, what is the, the uh, website now? Somebody help me. Oh, you don't know it either. Great. Uh, if, if it, what is it? Tell me again. HG, no, not HGTV. Tell me the website now. That's a good one, though. Chat GPT, where are you? Thank you. Bless you this morning. Thank you. If, if the chat GPT of your life, look it up. It's pretty cool. If the chat GPT of your life were, were to rank the people in your life as the top five people ever that you've ever come across, and it gave you a printed out list of those people, you should know that those folks too are created beings. They did not create themselves. They do not have the power to create anyone else. Never have they formed from the dust of the ground another living being. Never have they breathed the breath of life into another. The greatest folks that you know are created beings just like Adam. Y'all, it's very important today that we all understand while we love people, You've got to keep people in perspective. And here's what I mean. Many in our culture have gone from wanting to help people to valuing the thoughts and feelings of people above the will and way of Almighty God. We have come to this place where however you feel and whatever you think, because it's so important to you that it must even trump the way that God sees the world. We have had a desire to help someone, so much so that that desire to help someone has superseded our devotion to God. People are created beings. They are not divine beings. God told his Old Testament people, Israel, you must not have any other God but me. Now, that means there is to be no other source of truth there is to be no other king of your heart. There is to be no higher authority. Idolatry is when something that is created holds value in your heart above the creator. Even the ones that you would consider great human beings became human beings because of Almighty God. Now, this seems hopefully like a simple point to you that we would all agree with. And we would see on the screens out there that there are folks that continue to raise people to the place that whatever they think or feel is above God. And we would never do that until our kids do something. And now when our kids think or feel a certain way, maybe God was wrong. I'm starting to meddle now. Or until our family member or until some of our best friends begin to think a certain way because of our love for them, we begin to value their thoughts and feelings, maybe even above Almighty God who we look to for salvation and for lordship over our life. Well, those folks, even if you love them, and even if they make the top five of your heart's list, they are created beings just like everyone else. You know, you would think that we would hold Adam in higher regard. I want you to track this. You would think that we would put Adam, the first man, on sort of a pedestal, as Adam is the first created being. Adam is the, the first man before all others. And you would think that we would hold him in this place because he is the first, for goodness sakes, that we would hold him at a place of high regard. Why do we not 
place Adam at the top and almost liken him to some of the greats throughout Bible history. I don't think Adam makes that list. Do you know why? Because we know his sin. When you think Adam, what do you think? Sin in the garden. You associate Adam, the first man, with your own sin. So when you associate Adam with your struggle, he begins to fall on down that list pretty quick. Now think with me, because the scripture says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. When you read that scripture, that's why we don't place Adam up on this pedestal. But just as you know that Adam sinned, we must know that all who would follow Adam will do the same, which is why your hope and my hope for a better future cannot rest on the created, it must rest on the creator. Keep people in perspective. People are not all-knowing. People are not everywhere present. People are not all-powerful. And that's where we look to the second Adam. For Jesus is not a created being. Jesus gives life. The scripture says that he is a life-giving spirit in verse 45, which distinguishes himself from the first Adam. He is the living God. Jesus did not receive life. The Bible says in Colossians, which we'll look at further a little bit later, that Jesus has always existed. Let me say something very simple but that is very serious and game-changing when you begin to think about your life as it relates to others in this world. Jesus is different. Jesus is different. The problems of our culture are getting responses from people on all sides who are recommending more people to be the solution. Have you noticed that? Every year, we continue to recommend more people to replace the ones that we've got now because when we get these folks into the positions that we need them to be in, then everything will be better. We often sit and talk about how another Adam will be the champion of change, but every person who has been or will be will simply be a created being who is corruptible and perishable. You see, some of us may think, man, I'll tell you what, if we just had a president like Washington or a president like Lincoln or Jefferson, well, they're all dead. And you know, that's insensitive. That's why I use the old, old ones from long ago. <laughs> they're all dead. Well, why are they all dead? Because their nature is from Adam and their nature is an inherited sin nature and they are perishable just like everyone else. But y'all, Jesus is different. Jesus is different. In our culture, we need more than influence, we need power. And Jesus proved his power over the physical world and the spiritual world while on this earth. And then he ascends into heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and when he ascends, the Holy Spirit comes down and fills the life of every believer. And the scripture says in Acts 1-8 that the Spirit of God gives us what? Power to be his witnesses everywhere. We don't need just influence. In worldview, we need power. And Jesus is different. Do you know that you've been forgiven of sin, but you've not just been forgiven 
of the penalty of sin, you've been freed from the power of it. That God is working to pull you away from the power of sin that once dragged you down and lift you up, up above it so that you may glorify his name with this life on this earth. His power is unmatched. His death is purposeful. It's not final. His life was faultless. Jesus is different. And the resurrection proves Jesus' identity to be different than Adam and all of those who would come after Adam. And for this reason, listen, for this reason, we must lead ourselves and others and we must teach our children and our neighbors to rely on and follow Jesus above any other. Sometimes I think the problems that we deal with in our personal life and in the life of our families, we are too quick to get them to somebody that we think will help them. We'll get them to call somebody to help them before we've prayed for them, before we stop and factor God in and bow our head and close our eyes and pray over the pain of our families before we take them to the word of God where all of God's truth and counsel is. We'll try to get them to somebody else before we get them to Jesus. I'm here to tell you today that Jesus is different than all the folks that you'll take them to, to all the preachers that you will hear as talking heads and you see online, of all the counselors, of all the folks that you could take them to professionally to help them with everything that they've got going on. Every one of those are corruptible and perishable, but Jesus... Jesus is different. Lead yourself. Use your influence to take people to the Lord. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 says that every, listen to this, everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ has become a child of God. It goes on to say in verse 4, 1 John chapter 5, every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. Church, let me ask you this. Who is the object of our faith? Jesus. And every child of God defeats this evil world through faith. I know one good magic trick. Just one. That's all I've got. If this were in the fellowship hall, not in the sanctuary, I'd probably show it to you today up here from the pulpit, all right? But I know it gets weird in the sanctuary. Yeah, I had this one good magic trick that I have seen one of my friends do years ago. When I saw this magic trick, it was me and a few other folks beside me, and after he completed the magic trick, I thought to myself, that's the best thing I've ever seen. Seriously, I was like, that's the coolest thing ever. He just took this deck of cards and blew my mind, right? I mean, it was awesome. I was in wonder. And after I had seen him do it, guess what happened next? I had the desire to do it. I was like, man, that's the coolest thing ever. Will you show me how to do this? And he didn't do one of those magician things where he's like, I can never reveal my secrets. No, he was like, sure, man, I'll show you how to do it. It's no big deal. So he showed me how to do the magic trick so that I could do the magic trick too. And I have wowed tens of people through this card trick. Now, let me ask you, what sense would it have made to you if when I saw that trick, I turned to some of those that were with me looking on, also in wonderment, and I looked at them and I was like, guys, was that not the coolest thing you've ever seen? And they're like, yeah, that was the coolest thing we've ever seen too. And then I did not look at him, but I looked at them and I said, show me how to do that. What would you think? Can, tell me how he did that. 
You would think, well, that's foolish. If you're so in wonder of it and you want to do the same thing, why don't you ask the man? You see, this, this illustration connects and makes a ton of sense because when it gets very simple like that, we think, just ask the source. Yet we will lift up people. We will look within ourselves. We will say things like, well, I'm just going to get through it, me and God, but that really means you don't want anybody else to know about it, so it's just you because you're not factoring God in either. And we will lift up ourselves and lift up others to solve our problems in the world that God created. Before we pray and before we seek and before we fast and before we worship and before we throw ourselves at the feet of the living God, we will go knock on the door of somebody who is also corruptible and perishable. Now, what I'm not saying to you is a discouragement from you going to somebody that can provide you counsel. But I would suggest to you that your counsel needs to come from the word of God, agree with the word of God, as the spirit of God points you to that person to share with you the word of God. Don't factor God out. We're Christians. Christians don't factor God out. Of what? Of everything. Because Jesus is different. We must note, Jesus gives life. And because Jesus gives life, life takes its cue from him. How we think, what we should do, what is our purpose, how do we deal, all needs to go to our Lord and living Savior. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says that Jesus existed before anything was created, that he is supreme over all creation. Colossians 1, 16 and 17, it goes on to say, everything was created through him and for him and that he holds all things together. Furthermore, the Bible says that he is the beginning. He is supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. When you hear something from the screens, from the websites, from the social media that you wonder whether or not if it's true or you should uphold it, don't go ask somebody Go to the word of God, to the living God who is creator and all creation has been run through him. Life goes through him. Why would we go to any other source to see if we agree or not? Amen. Now, as this passage compares and contrasts Adam and Jesus, let's look at what this means for this body, this living body that we are in. For chapter 15 is the most extensive treatment of the resurrection. As we learned last week, Jesus is the first. He will precede those who are in Christ who, too, who shall also be raised. First, the scripture would tell us that we have a physical, natural, earthly body. Like Adam, we are all made in the image of God in the sense that we are spiritual beings, conscious to God, conscious to ourselves, but we are very much made in the image of Adam in the sense that we have a physical being. We have a natural earthly body. Physical beings with physical bodies. Natural bodies that we live within each day that are made from the dust of the ground, the scripture says. And we give a great deal of consideration to our bodies, do we not? We give a great deal of consideration to our bodies and that we keep them clothed and that we keep them fed and that we keep them washed. Amen. <laughs> but it goes further than that. We invest time 
and money and effort towards the improvement of our bodies, towards the maintenance of our bodies. And in some cases, and don't take it personal unless it's personal, sometimes we invest so much into the glory of our bodies. Our body is given by God. Our body is given to us just like anything else that is given. It is to be a steward of for God's glory. And if we take care of our bodies, it is God honoring as long as our motives are right. But the scripture leads us to understand that just as we should not give too much or too little to people, we must see our physical state the same way. Verse 42, the last half of that verse says that our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die. Now, that's never a scripture that's read from the pulpit where everybody goes, amen. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die. That is a sobering perspective, is it not? That is not the verse of scripture that you have on a bracelet or put in a frame above your treadmill. Or some will die one day. Like that's, that's not the motivation. That's not the scripture that we would use. But that verse and verses like it are also not meant for us to take them and think, well, there's no sense in doing this anyway. There's no sense in working out and eating right because the scripture says we're gonna be planted in the ground when we die. I'll have another. It's, it's not exactly uh, for us to eat like a sport and it's not for us meant to, like, that's why we shouldn't take medicine. That's not what the scripture is saying either. It's meant to state the truth and give perspective of who we are. Our natural bodies, because of sin, are prone to disease and headed for death. Now, this would be a terrible service if we stopped there. My son had basketball practice last week. Before uh, they, they get started into practice, I'm shooting around with a couple of them, and it only takes me a couple of seconds to realize that what I could do at one time will not be any longer. While we reach this point, I'm looking forward to the cornhole tournament tonight because there are no more breakaway layups in my future whatsoever. Life is not over by any means, but as the year goes by, the body gives way. Should we work to slow that down? Well, I think that's, that's wise. The scripture teaches us to take care of our, the temple of the Holy Spirit. But while our bodies are what we feel and experience each day, and you think about how, how we have already considered our body before we've ever got to this point. Many of you now have adjusted yourself in your seat to get you more comfortable. There are things that we have, have considered bef way before we ever got to this position. Again, life is not over, but we are treating our bodies sometimes with too much importance because that's what we feel and experience each day. We would be foolish, however, to make these bodies that are planted in the ground when we die, we would be foolish to raise this living body up above and beyond the priority of the mission and vision of God. To raise ourselves and put our spiritual, or to put our physical life in front of our spiritual life, in front of the mission of God, that's when we have it all twisted. 43 and 44 goes on to say that those bodies that we have, these earthly, temporary bodies are buried in brokenness, buried in weakness, buried as natural human bodies. Don't misunderstand. God has created a special. Every one of us have value equal worth before God he knit us together, and we are made in his image. But the physical state we are in 
has been corrupted by sin through the inherited nature of Father Adam, and the scripture clearly teaches that sin leads to death. Genesis chapter three, verse 19 says, by the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made, for you were made from the dust, and to the dust you will return. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22 says that everyone dies because we all belong to Adam. Adam is a death dealer. The, the, every funeral home that's ever been should have a picture of Adam in their business office. Now, with that in mind of this perishable body that we have, and that we are not to elevate it to a place of that is too important, let's look at chapter 15, verse 50, that says, what I am saying, Paul says, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. There's no inheritance for an earthly body. Our bodies become broken, they become weak unto death. So in order for our bodies to be fit for heaven, they must be changed. They must be transformed. Now one of those two is a created being and the other is a life-giving spirit. What comes later for those who are in Christ, for those who belong to Jesus, for those who have turned from their sin and turned to God, who live and believe in Jesus Christ, you have a body that will die because of sin, but in Christ you will raise because of Jesus. Later is the immaterial, spiritual, heavenly body. That's what the scripture teaches is that what comes later, and sometimes when we teach these things, preach these things, we just want to be on the right side of it, and glory to God and amen for that. But it's teaching nonetheless so that God ensures you that you have the real hope that is rooted in Jesus, that what will happen to you is what has happened to him, that he rose from the grave in the power of God and had a resurrected body fit for heaven. And one day those who are in Christ, later the scripture says, we will have an immaterial, spiritual, heavenly body. From our passage, the scripture says, first is the natural body and the spiritual body comes later. For those who are in Christ, the body will weaken, it will break, it will bury, but we will receive the life-giving spirit as immortal spiritual transformation. God changes things. He makes all the difference. Verse 43, our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, and watch this, but they will be raised in strength. See, this compare and contrast introduces a change of direction. Because remember when we talked about the treadmill and the scripture above and that we are only gonna go down into the ground because we are perishable. All of a sudden when the scripture tells us that we are buried in brokenness but be raised in glory and then the scripture tells us that we are buried in weakness but raised in strength, we have just experienced in the scripture a change of direction from despair to hope through God and faith in Christ. Now, listen to the promise found in 15 verses 54 through 57 as we wrap this up. Verse 54 says, then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die. This scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For, the sin, for sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory over sin and death. Man, it seems so final when you're at the graveside, doesn't it? But the scripture says, thank God for those who are in Christ, there is victory over sin and over death because of Jesus. Just the other night at my daughter's softball game, there was, there was no working scoreboard. And they're still young enough to where all kinds of runs are being scored. Nobody knows really what the score is except for the person that has the book. So while there is no scoreboard and the game is back and forth, at the end of the game, both teams thought that they won. <laughs> this is no joke. They, they went and shook hands. Good game. Everybody was smiling because they both thought that they won. Good game, good game, good game. Losers. And they're like, losers, we won. <laughs> Nobody did that. Maybe, I don't know. I wasn't there. But each side, and then they, they even prayed it up after. They prayed, and then, then they went back to the dugouts, and everybody's going back to the dugouts like, Yes which was really surprising to us when we found out that we lost, <laughs> right? I mean, everybody has left there thinking that everybody has won. Everybody's attitude is wonderful on the way out. But the truth is that one team won and another team lost. The reason I give you that illustration is that the comparison today features two sides. The earthly and the heavenly. Adam versus Jesus. No one wants to believe that they lose at the grave, but there's only one winner. If we remain in Adam, we lose. It does not matter what religion says. It does not matter how you feel. It does not matter how you've lived. It does not matter what's been passed on by tradition through your mom and daddy, grandmom and granddaddy. If you remain in Adam and apart from Christ at the grave, you lose. But if you are in union with Jesus, you win because he has the victory. You win. We can take on the graveside. We can take on funerals and speak to the glory of God and the good of man. We can take on funerals at the graveside. We can be there with a loved one that we have lost, and we grieve because that's the way that love feels, but we don't grieve like we have no hope. We grieve with all hope. Why do we grieve with hope? Because our God's not dead. Because Jesus died and arose from the grave. And this whole three weeks has been about how those eyewitnesses attest to that. And how the scripture has been saying that the entire time. And that the apostles have experienced him. That Paul experienced the risen Savior. And that I, when I called upon the name of the Lord Jesus at 11 years old, the Spirit of God came into me. And what I experienced was not religion. It was relationship. Because I was separate from God in my sin. And then when I was convinced in my heart and believed with my mouth and confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus raised from the grave. I am saved and the Spirit of God testifies to that within me. I am signed, sealed, and delivered and the grave will be sad for those who love me. But one day I will raise from the grave because I am in Christ. Who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? This is what I have, have noticed in the last few weeks, y'all, we live in a North Alabama, Southern Bible Belt culture where you can throw a rock and hit 10 churches. Every subdivision 
can have a church home for all those folks. And still, there are people that are so far from the gospel, so far from the truth. Even those that would attend, even those that would darken the door of a church every once in a while, even those that can speak the lingo because it's in the culture, we are still in Adam and the proof is in our obedience to Adam and not into God. We live how we wanna live. We do what we wanna do. We throw a little religion at religion and then when it comes time for the grave, nobody's lost, everybody's saved. I've never done a funeral for a lost person, not one. That's the truth. This is hard to talk about. But I've never had a time in my life where I've sat down with any family before a graveside or a funeral and that family has just straight up said they're lost and separate from God. You're in front of the mirror of scripture this morning. And when it comes time for this earthly body to be taken down, your family and friends and you yourself can know that you will be raised too and that you will be in the presence of God, but it all depends upon whether or not you remain in Adam in your nature or you turn from that nature and turn to God by faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. It's the same message every Sunday, isn't it? Because that's where the power comes from. Because that's where the power is for living and the power is for dying. Would you stand to your feet with me? As you stand, you should know there are only two kinds of spiritual conditions. The first Adam or the second Adam. The first man of the living God. And in this view of God, all are either still in Adam, which is in sin and consequence, or in Christ, which is his righteousness by his grace. I would encourage you today, before you take another step, before you do anything else today, that you would consider your position before God, that if you are at a guilty distance, or that if you're right with God and you need to praise him today, if you would bow your heads with me and close your eyes, if today you need to be saved, you need to do one of two things, one of three things, really. One, you need to call upon the name of the Lord right where you are, the best way you know how. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus died for you. Be convinced in your heart that he is your way to God. And confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus lived, died, and rose again for you. Secondly, if you think to yourself you have questions about that, you want to talk with someone, you need to walk this aisle or catch a pastor after this service so that we nail these things down. Or third, there's a card that's been given to you through your bulletin. You can mark on that card and place it in the drop box on the way out and we'll follow up with you. Maybe you need to take a next step to join the church or a next step to be baptized or maybe you just need to talk to someone. That's why we're here, Lord. Whatever is going on in our heart and our mind today, Father, whatever distance there is between us and you, Lord, show it to us in our heart. If your spirit is drawing people to be saved, I pray, God, that all across the room right now that they would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved. God, that they would make that profession public by sharing it with someone so that they may take next steps to follow you together with your church. But Lord, if we've been believers for a long time and we think we are good as we're gonna get, may your spirit draw us from a place of complacency to a place of desperate devotion 
for we realize today once again who you are. And you, O oh Lord, are different, all-powerful. God, we thank you for the church. We thank you, Lord, for this time in front of your word today. May we stay in front of your word. Take ourselves and take others to your word, Lord. We thank you once again, Lord, for who you are, your love for us. And thank you, Lord, for this time that we can stop and respond. As we pray, as we worship, oh God, bless us and help us till we come together again. In Jesus' name, amen. This altar is open for you. We have decision counselors here for you.